0: You're listening to the Co Main Event podcast, and now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas.
1: That's right. You're
0: listening to another
1: episode of the Co Main Event Mixed Martial Arts podcast. I'm your co-host from BleacherReport.com, Chad Dundas. And joining me, as always, from MMA Junkie and USA Today, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Ben, how you doing this week? Well, I'm choking my way through the smoke just to get over here, but other than that, not too bad. Did you enjoy those fights on Saturday night? As a matter of fact, I did enjoy those fights on Saturday night. You know the reason why I ask, right? Why is that? Because that's all you're getting for another month.
2: That's it for you. Cutting you off. Good thing I DVR'd it then. So just I can go back over and over just again. live the magic of... UFC Fight Night Mexico City over and over again.
1: Just go back to for a second viewing to try to pick up some of the subtleties in Sam Alvey versus Rashad Evans that you missed the first time around.
2: I just want to go back and watch uh, the the knockout from Humberto Bandone just so I can shout, Bandone! I thought maybe you
1: would shout, Humberto!
2: Who would do that? That's weird.
1: This week's co-main event podcast is once again brought to you by Fulton & Rourke. If you've been listening to the podcast for any length of time, you already know about Fulton & Rourke's wide array of men's grooming products. We've talked about them at length, and they've gotten rave reviews from actual heavy-hitting lifestyle publications like GQ Magazine. Last week, we started telling you about the Fulton & Rourke newest product, their double-sided exfoliation mitt. If you didn't get it last week, you messed around and you missed the free promotion. Uh, good news, though, you can still go to FultonandRourke.com and buy it with your money, as George St. Pierre might say.
2: That's right, Chad. The Fulton and Rourke Cleansing Tool is pretty much the perfect complement to their existing line of products. It's made from 100% silicone bristles that remove dirt and oil while gently exfoliating the skin. It powers through the grime and your 5 o'clock shadow, too, to help unclog pores and improve overall complexion. The flexible bacteria-resistant silicone makes it so that it's safe to keep in the shower
1: or carry with you in your Fulton & Rourke brand dop kit, which we already know you've got. Get the cleansing tool to go along with the Fulton & Rourke face wash, their enormous and awesome bars of soap, foamless shaving cream, or any of their fabulous solid colognes. I've got them. Ben's got them. We use them. Goddamn right. People should see how clean we look right now. And
2: smell. Doesn't come through on the podcast, unfortunately.
1: Maybe that technology is being developed. Are you developing it? A scratch and sniff podcast?
2: Look me in the eye and tell me you're developing that technology. I'm not going to tell you I'm not. <laughs> okay.
1: As always, you can go to use the coupon code CME and get 15% off your total purchase. Just go to fultonandwork.com and order up some stuff today. One more week only to get your Dundasso shirts and tank tops from Cotton Bureau before they disappear forever. Why
2: must you sully this podcast with lies?
1: Forever.
2: Forever meaning like six weeks.
1: Just until more people request them. Then they bring them back. (laughs) We got music again this week from our colleague in the MMA media, Eric Fontenez. You can find more of his writing over at bloodyelbow.com. And if you like what you hear on the podcast, you can find his music at soundcloud.com slash Eric Fontenez. Three rounds, as usual, this week in the co-main event podcast. This is going to be kind of a loosey-goosey episode, right? Keeping it flowy? Just, we're going to keep it flowy. We're going to wake up in the morning and stretch. That's what we do. In round number one, news and notes from Mexico City, which doesn't seem like all that important of a UFC fight card until you realize it's the last one until September 2nd. And in round number two, man, Conor McGregor's supposed to be the franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. practice, Not a game. Not Not a a game. Not a game. Practice. Practice. And round number three, ain't shit going on in August. And that raises some interesting questions for me, Ben, and all the little co-maniacs out there. All that, plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. Also, Master Tweet Theater, we hey. should mention. Sir Nigel Longstock, back from uh, a lengthy period of being on assignment. Sure, let's say assignment. But first, like we always do about this time... Let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. The first piece of listener mail this week is from Curtis Bouchard. He writes, so this Jack Hermanson guy is pretty good at taking people down and beating the shit out of them. How far up the rankings do you think this strategy will take him? Ben the Joker.
2: I know you like that.
1: Jack the Joker.
2: You just, you just like saying it.
1: You know who I like? I like it better than uh, Brad Bear Scott. Okay. Isn't that the guy he beat up this weekend? The guy he beat defeated in a in a fight? I didn't... I, Bear? I think that's what they announced on the uh, on the broadcast.
2: Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> Looking at his Wikipedia page, it seems like, yeah, Bear is one of the nicknames, but Wikipedia does the thing where they list him as Bradley Brad Scott, which... Okay. yeah. <laughs> daring nickname choice um, to just go with a shortened version of your actual name. But yeah. Um, then, you know, you got... The question: How far can the strategy of taking people down and beating the shit out of them take you in the middleweight division? I guess uh pretty far.
1: Yeah, pretty far. If, uh, if history can teach us anything, right? I mean, in fact, taking people down and beating the shit out of them, I would describe as one of the tried and true strategies of the mixed martial arts. Except, though, you get to a point.
2: Uh, if you're going to try that, if you're going to try that mess at middleweight, you get to a point where the the pool gets pretty pretty crowded down there in the deep end and a fellow who doesn't have a whole wide range of skills or who you know is not like olympic level good at taking people down and beating the shit out of them could run into some problems
1: yeah there's some dudes at the top end of that middleweight division uh who like to do the taking down and the beating the shit out of and don't necessarily subscribe to the getting taken down and having the shit beaten out of them i guess uh, I'm thinking specifically of a fellow named Yoel Romero. The Cookie Monster. Also Jacare Souza.
2: There's another one. Might as well
1: throw out Chris Weidman while we're at it. Sure. I'll put Luke Rockhold on that list, even though he's more of a stand-up guy. He's still around. I'll tell you what I do like about Jack Hermanson, though. What ben. do you like? Just turned 29 years old last month, so... uh Maybe if he can keep taking people down and beating the shit out of them, as he did to Brad Scott on Saturday night, and as he did to Alex Nicholson back in May on the undercard of Gustafson versus Tashira, maybe he could a- wait till some of those upper echelon guys kind of age out. What do you think?
2: Okay, so you're just kind of you're gonna chill a little bit.
1: Uh huh. No
2: big rush. Wait, wait
1: till it's nothing but stand up guys <laughs> up there in the top top Cause ten.
2: Because this stuff goes in cycles, right? Like we all know. Pretty soon, everybody it's, standing up is all the rage, and then. That's when Jack Romanson strikes. That's
1: right. Uh, I I think he's a decent little prospect. Good looking, six foot one, hundred eighty five pounder out of Sweden.
2: Well, but see, this is what I wonder: is if you're that dude, if you're you're a middleweight out of Sweden, do you then just eventually get defaulted into the the UFC's European circuit? I mean, they they put him on this one instead of holding him out for Rotterdam in September, but. We've seen this before where if the UFC thinks they have somebody who's, you know, a, a, a Swedish fighter or a European fighter or something, they basically end up just like competing on a separate circuit almost.
1: There's worse jobs.
2: I suppose there is. It's not is. a
1: terrible gig if you can get it. They can only keep you there so long, too, if you keep taking people down and beating the shit out of them. True. Ask, ask, ask Alexander Gustafsson.
2: More of a stand up and beat the shit out of your guy, but I see your point.
1: Yeah, the, the theory still applies. Next question this week comes to us from Alexander Strickler. That sounds like one we might want to Google. I'm just saying.
2: <laughs> you think maybe he plays defense for Crystal Palace?
1: I would not be surprised to find out that that is the case. <laughs> okay. Alexander Strickler writes, We can all agree it's been a down year for the UFC. Regardless, there's a bunch of young talent that I'm excited about from this year. Khalil Roundtree, Gavin Tucker, Calvin Qatar, Drakar Close, Dan Hooker, Ben Wynn, and Tom while We still need to figure out how to pronounce this dude's name. Duke and why? Duke and why? Is that what we're saying? Duke and wa? Which young fighter are you the most excited about for the future and why please discourse? Well, there's that's a
2: pretty good list right there that throughout uh, Alexander Strickler, by the way, seems legit as far as I can oh, tell. Oh really? He's yeah. not coming up? <laughs> well, maybe maybe he's uh, one of the lesser known.
1: Yeah, maybe he's just uh, on somebody's U eighteen team. He's yeah. just he's still on the rise. Yeah,
2: there you go. Um I don't know if we, if we're talking about like, literal young talent, because if we are, I don't know how we're just going to gloss over your dude Sergio Pettis, who just competed in the main event at, and won himself a, a pretty nice little decision victory there at, uh, the, the in the main event in Mexico
1: City. Okay, for, if that's what we're doing, if we're cherry picking off Saturday night's card, can I throw out another name? Sure. How about Nico Price? Okay. 27 years old. TKO's Alan Joban in a minute and 44 seconds. Uh, that should be his uh, third straight win in the UFC, but you'll remember uh, that his win in February was overturned because Nico Price tested positive for the Marijuanas, which I'm still... I think the official position of the co event podcast is to call shenanigans on that, right? Yes. On anybody getting their win overturned because they uh, test positive for Lechuga de Muerta, the lettuce of death. What did you Is that a thing? The marijuanas. Does anybody ever say that? Mary Jane. Are you a, a cop? A little bit of do a little bit of doobie
2: smoke. You have to tell me if you're a cop. And uh 27 though. Is that we're, are we are we're still counting
1: that as as a hot young prospect? I would think that in today's UFC anybody under 30 is. Well, if is you're a heavyweight,
2: good. sure. If you're a heavyweight, 27 is a goddamn fetus. But outside of that, I don't I mean,
1: you know what, Nico, I just noticed Nico Price is going to turn 28 September
2: 29th. Oh, uh, old so man. So maybe maybe you're right. Just should we get him a
1: cane <laughs> a big pair of dark cataract sunglasses
2: a quilt to go over his legs in his
1: rocking chair you know what else i've been surprised by this year in the ufc ben is the resurgence the the somewhat resurgent light heavyweight division i mean i know that that's not a young fighter that i'm going that i'm going to mention but like to me that's one of the more surprising uh plot lines that we've gotten out of the first half of this year is that we were about ready to uh get the paddles out and see if we could resuscitate the 205 pound division. Now, suddenly you got two, three, maybe ooh, even ooh. as many as four fighters up there that, that are creeping on a come up. Who are we talking about right now? Well, you got your guy, Vulcan Uzdemur, right? No time, no time for him. Uh, I would still throw Misha Sirkinoff on that list, right? Okay. Even though he's coming off a loss, uh, that's two guys, which is two more than I could have named at the start of the year.
2: All right. Right. Th- fair enough. Uh, as far as the question of, like, young prospects who...
1: Tyson Pedro, huh? What about Tyson Pedro? Okay, man?
2: all right. Are you just, do you have a list in front of you right now as you're reading off of?
1: What about Gadzumirad Angulov? What about him
2: indeed? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me something about
1: uh, him. He's, he's got a memorable name. Okay. That's not one you're going to forget.
2: Um, yeah, but I think uh, there's... The, the thing that I always go through with when you start naming off some of these, the, the young fighters that we should be excited about in the future. I mean, I don't, I wonder if it's too soon to say Bofondo because I'll just want, I want to say Bofondo just cause it's fun.
1: Yep. Make it a double.
2: But, uh, <laughs> is you, it seems harder now to stand out as a young fighter and to have like all of us kind of pivot to pay attention to you and to have it stick. Like it seems like it's just not enough anymore just to be winning the fights right. and being excited. I don't know if it's just because we roll on to the next thing so quickly or that everybody's out there and either, you know, white with black stripe or black with white stripe. And it's really hard to just differentiate yourself. I don't know. It, but it does seem a little bit harder to really get people that excited about you when you're on the come up.
1: Yeah, well, it's a combination of all of those things, right? It's the, uh, the, 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 pace of the live event schedule that kind of mandates that we move from one thing to the next very quickly. Although certainly that's not true about August. Uh, I think it's the, the fact that there are 500 fighters on the roster now, or at least there were, uh, when WMEIMG bought the company and maybe there's been a, a, a slight purge, but still.
2: And we're adding two more every week with the Dana White contender series. That's
1: right. And, but, but like, uh, just more, more fighters than we've been used to seeing. If you've been around this sport for a long time, and plus, like you said, now that that everyone is wearing one of a number of different colors of Reebok trunks, it it, it and and uh, kind of uh, clamping down on on uh,
0: pers- individuality,
1: yeah, individ- and personality during the ring walk too, right? Like uh, uh, the you know, they're, I don't they don't let uh, Henry Cejudo put on the Aztec outfit anymore. Isn't he the guy that did that for a while, and then they said he couldn't do it anymore? Uh, so, yeah, just you're right, more difficult to stand out. And uh, it feels almost like you got to catch someone in the office's eye. You know what I mean? Like so, somebody at the UFC has to take a Conor McGregor-style shine to you so they start uh, putting you in, in spots where you will be noticed.
2: And then it also, though, seems that maybe there's a little bit of incentive in the, the front office to not give you that kind of negotiating power too soon, even though it's also the kind of power that helps them sell pay-per-views.
1: Next question this week comes to us from Eric Miller. He writes, remember when you were wondering why Suga Rashad Evans versus Smiling Sam Alvey was buried on the undercard? I guess we all found out. Ooh. As someone that started watching MMA around 2010, I feel like I've been the biggest Rashad Evans apologist ever since he had his last worthwhile fight about four years ago. Since beating Chael Sonnen, the only thing approaching excitement he's done was to get TKO'd by Glover to Every time I see him on a card, I get excited, and every time he fights, I get disappointed and angry that that the guy I swear used to be fun to watch is just a bad point fighter now. Am I looking at the past with rose-colored glasses? There had to be something I never saw way back when that imprinted itself on my lizard brain that makes me want to watch Rashad Evans fight. It certainly isn't anything I still remember. He used to be good, right? Where the fuck does he go now? Is he even worth the obligatory call from Scott Coker anymore? Oh, ouch. Well, the answer to that last question is absolutely yes, right? If that's where where we went with this.
2: Yeah, well, especially because of his ability to fight at middleweight or light heavyweight if you wanted him to. Right there, that sounds like somebody that Bellator typically would like to take a look at. Um, but, yeah, I see your point, too. Because I, I too, have felt at times, like an, a Rashad Evans apologist, and we've talked about this with him on on the show in the past, about how he seemed like he took a whole lot of shit from fans that he maybe did not deserve. And when you talk to him and you did an interview with him, it was impossible not to like the guy because he's a smart guy and a thoughtful interview and always gave you good stuff to think about and was interesting to write about. And so you kind of wondered, you know, why didn't fans ever seem to give this guy a chance? But yeah, now he seems to be at this point in his career. I mean, the the Sam Alvey fight, for one thing, it was just a terribly boring fight. And that one seemed like style-wise, you could you could kind of guess that maybe that could, could happen there. But it's also his fourth loss in a row. Um, the last two haven't been—he just hasn't looked— really great like he he has lacked the sense of urgency you would expect out of a guy at that point trying to you know turn things around and so you do kind of wonder what are we doing here with Rashad Evans
1: yeah well now he's two and six right in his last eight fights and that dates all the way back to April of 2012 uh, when he lost to John Jones in a, a light heavyweight title fight at UFC uh 145 so clearly just in terms of wins and losses it's a little bit bleak for Rashad Evans now and uh i agree with eric miller's premise of this of this uh question that it kind of seems like at some point something happened with rashad evans maybe in a mindset uh situation where now uh he does seem like he's thinking about it too much when he's out there or something just like uh, unable to pull the trigger maybe in ways that he used to do it. Although, um, you know, this Sam Alby fi- fight, he was out there trying to pressure for takedowns early on. He was trying to work a little bit of the stand-up game throughout the fight uh, and just seemed like maybe the altitude of Mexico City got to him or something like that. Uh, But you do have to chalk it up as, as a not very exciting fight. Uh, and it does, I think, raise questions for Rashad Evans about You know where he goes from here, especially since he was doing the thing before this fight, where he talks about uh, changing up all of his training partners and living in uh, Frankie Edgar's father-in-law's basement. Which fight pass show? Just saying. (laughs) Uh,
2: Yeah, but that sounds like hey, I like rediscovered some hunger, right? Or some I thought I was living too easy, and so I went and and I and I found the fire, and then you get in there, and And it's not there. No, especially it reminded me a lot of his fight. uh, That that awful fight with Dan Henderson where he won the split decision in Winnipeg, the Peg, uh, but it was much the same thing. Where there's just a lot of standing there, staring, uh, moving the shoulders as if you're just about to do something. You know that kind of he like reminds me of a a quarterback on a high school football team I played with once. Who everybody joked would when he would run with the ball, always looked like he was about to juke somebody. Would always do the just the shoulder shake, as he, but then never actually did it. Just ran straight ahead in a straight line. And that's what Rashad Evans seems like he's doing sometimes. He's he's setting you up with all these feints, but then the explosion never really comes. And next thing you know, three rounds have gone by, and you're going, what did you actually do? I mean, he had a couple moments in the Sam Alvey fight where he'd pop forward, maybe land a good right hand or something. But it was just in such small amounts that... I don't know how you think that you're going to go out there and win that fight that way.
1: You know what else I think is remarkable about Rashad Evans is that he cuts down from 205 pounds. And then when you watch this fight, he's clearly like the smaller man as compared to middleweight Sam Alvey. And I remember thinking that about Rashad a long time ago when I saw the, I think the first time I ever saw him in person, like at a UFC event where he was not fighting. He was just sort of hanging around the hotel. Uh, and if you saw him in comparison to somebody like Forrest Griffin or Stefan Bonner or John Jones, it was always really hard to fathom that they were in the same weight class because Rashad is just not a giant in the same way that those other guys are. Uh, and now you see him at 185, still kind of looking like the less physically imposing person in the fight. Uh, and it just, it just makes him seem like a tweener or something or, or like, uh, because uh, you don't think he could get to 170. Like, that would, no. be, that would be too big of a cut. And yet, at the same time, uh, he's not... He's had so much difficulty even just taking Sam Alvey down that, that you wonder about sheer physical stature, I guess.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, Sam Alvey is pretty decent-sized middleweight. But again, I also think, though, that uh, Sam Alvey, I think since he had a, a few knockouts there, maybe we got a, the wrong idea in our heads about Sam Alvey, that he was going to be like an exciting finisher kind of dude. But he seems to, you know, he, he deserves some of the... Uh, blame for this being a stinker of a fight as well because he has solidified now into that just counter puncher strategy to the point where and unless you put him against somebody who is just a goddamn wild man who's going to come windmill in his arms forward there's a pretty good chance it's going to be a boring fight
1: which is bad news because if you're smiling Sam Alvey it feels like you need to finish people Right. Like just to throw back to the conversation we were having a minute ago. Right. As you want to be one of these young guys that stands out and is the kind of person who gets promoted and the kind of person that people want to watch. Like Sam Alvey, he's got the smiling gimmick, which I can still not decide if I find it off putting or (laughs) endearing. Like that's how you know it's a good gimmick. He's got uh, his wife who's won America's Next Top Model. Right. They and, and serves as one of his corner persons. Unusual at the at the event. Uh, they bring their tiny child a lot of times to events. Remember, it wears the like uh earphones, like the uh, like shooting. Yeah, is it earmuffs. gets loud in there. Yeah, right. So like, there's some stuff going on with Sam Alvey that could make him a recognizable guy, but at the same time maybe it's just he's not like physically that impressive that he that we have yet to really see him stamp his ticket into being an elite fighter in that division but i feel like he's a dude that needs to be exciting
2: yeah well and then he called out vitor belfort next he's trying to go on a revenge for my homie dan henderson ass whipping tour and calling out vitor maybe there's somebody who will uh come charging at you and give you what you want
1: Next question this week comes to us from Josh Montgomery. He writes, so this past week marked the two-year anniversary of Ronda Rousey's last UFC win in that wild brawl over Bech Kohea. Also this week, as I rewatched UFC 214, I thought if Ronda did fight again, Tanya Evinger may be the perfect opponent. Evinger's striking game can best be described by saying she ain't no hitter, yet she is good-sized for 135 pounds and possesses a strong wrestling base that could potentially neutralize Rousey's jiu-jitsu. Evanger had some street cred as Invicta Champ and the willingness to go up in weight versus Cyborg. We all know Rousey has not indicated she will fight again, yet Googling the shit out of her, there is no sign that she left the USADA pool as a sign of official retirement. So I guess I'm just saying November in Madison Square Garden, Rousey versus Evanger in the co-main event sounds damn interesting.
2: There's no way Rousey's coming back for somebody like Tanya Evinger. It's It'll be like a Gina Carano kind of situation if she does come back. I mean I I agree it would be an interesting fight to see her against somebody like Tanya Evinger, who has a good ground game and who would, you know, try to take her down, and that's always interesting to see against with her her judo. But I I think right now, it seems like Ronda Rousey is gearing up for something.
1: Yeah. And it doesn't
2: seem like it's MMA.
1: Right. Uh, I was gonna say there's some tremors going on, right? On Planet Rousey, who's been dormant for a while now and 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 the last week or so it started to seem like something is brewing and obviously a lot of uh speculation that she's going to wind up going to the world wrestling entertainment uh which seems like a good place for her although i will say again as i say seemingly whenever anyone crosses over from mixed martial arts to professional wrestling and especially when they do it uh at the wwe level like that transition is more difficult than a lot of people think it is. You know, and I think we saw it when Tito Ortiz and uh, and Rampage Jackson tried to go over to TNA. They ended up just looking somewhat foolish a lot of the time. And, you know, maybe Ronda is a person that could do it just because of her temperament and and uh, her her judo skills. Uh, but I think that there would be some significant challenges for her over there if she tried to do that. So we're going to have to wait and find out what it is, I guess. It's actually not
2: unlike how fighters used to and still... St- to some extent still do treat, uh, the transition to like making movies and being an actor as they just think like, oh, well, that's easy. Like, you mean you get paid and you don't get punched in the face? Shit, man, sign me up. And not realizing that's an actual craft that people take years and years to learn to be good at. They seem to look the same way. These days, a lot more frequently, you see fighters who look that way at professional wrestling, like it's not something that's actually hard to do. And maybe it's closer to their skill set, so it's probably not quite as difficult to transition as you know learning to uh, be an actor in actual Hollywood movies. But yeah, you're right that it's not as if you can just pop on over there and suddenly you're dominating that world.
1: Man... We talked for a long time about the possibility of Ronda Rousey going to movies, right? That was like, it was basically the uh, the foregone conclusion that that's what would happen to her is that she would achieve all this success in MMA and then eventually cross over and become uh, a famous actress. And the whole time, I believe, I think I've said this on the podcast before, I always wondered like, does that profession really play to Ronda Rousey's strengths? Like, uh, it's difficult for me to imagine Ronda Rousey on like a commercial set or a movie set spending 12 hours filming the same scene over and over and over again. Right. Which is like one of the things you have to do if that's your, your craft as an actor. Uh, it almost seems to me like professional wrestling might be easier for her because, uh, you know, she, it it wouldn't have the, the same demands, uh, just on her time and like the same sort of boredom factor, which was always something that I, I wondered about in terms of Ronda Rousey crossing over to Hollywood. So, uh, Maybe pro wrestling would, would better suit her skills. I don't know.
2: Yeah, and she's charismatic. People still are interested in what she's doing and want to watch her. Uh, and this way, you don't have to get in there and have somebody like Amanda Nunes punch the shit out of your face. So that's nice.
1: That's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you've got a question, a comment, a concern that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, com and you click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast that gets you in touch with us while you're there you can sign up for the breakfast of champions newsletter that comes out every friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that you miss that we miss that everybody misses on all the days that we're not recording the podcast stuff always happens news always breaks the newsletter itself is short it's informative we would love to think it's funny and the upside is if you don't like it it's really easy to unsubscribe as for right now though we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one been UFC Fight Night 114 live and free from Mexico City. Let's go ahead and start I guess with the main event here where your boy young Serge, Sergio Pettis, goes out there and gets the unanimous decision win over Brandon Moreno. Uh, that's Sergio Pettis's fourth UFC win in a row and advances his overall career in the octagon to 7-2, which is not too shabby really for a 23-year-old uh, who for a long time felt like he was trying to break out of the shadow of his brother, Anthony Pettis, the former lightweight champion. And at this point, considering all of the water under the bridge, dare I say, seems like the Pettis with the highest upside.
2: Yeah, well, at least the the brightest future right now. And uh, you see a lot to like in that fight against Brandon Moreno. I mean, he, when he, after the first round, when he managed to figure out like, all right, this guy does not have a ton for me on the feet. And it's kind of just waiting for me to kick him so he can take me down. And once he got that through his head, he kind of took over that fight. And still managed, though, I think, to walk a good line between realizing, all right, I need to not screw this up in the following ways, but not letting that, you know, freeze him into inactivity. Still uh, mixing it up in there, throwing some creative stuff, and really started to lay it on Brandon Moreno there late in the fight.
1: Yeah, I like Brandon Moreno's squid style. Of fighting. Yeah. Know, he's constantly swinging his arms around like they're tentacles.
2: But like a squid that's like that's had a few cocktails.
1: Yeah, he's like a half-drunk octopus. Yeah. He's laying in wait on a rock, <laughs> waiting for Sergio Pettis to get close enough to him uh, that he can take him down and, and uh, you know try to do stuff to him on the ground. Uh, yeah, good win for Sergio Pettis, who, by the way, does it looking fresh to death with the uh, cut part in his hair. Uh, Well, he's a Pettis, man. What do you expect? I'm just saying, like, if you liked what Anthony Pettis was doing in the sartorial game, you will probably like what young Serge is doing also. Speaking only for myself. Okay. As a guy who's actively looking for new members of hashtag Team (laughs) Dunnett.
2: Well, there you go. Uh, I was a little bit surprised that he didn't stop Brandon Moreno. You look kind of on, you know, third, fourth round, and it started to look like, man, he he has got Moreno on the run. And he was hammering him with some hard right hands there. Uh, I don't, do you think that that's the difference between young Sergio Pettis, who is uh, climbing up the ranks slowly, and the dude who would just kind of explode onto the scene in the way that the UFC needs you know, somebody in that division to do? Is it that difference between being able to go all out and put somebody away? Or is this good enough?
1: I think, like, in some ways it's good enough, just because, you know, MMA fans will be familiar with the family name. Uh, he's, he's a pretty exciting fighter when he can keep the the fight on his feet. Uh, he's a technical guy. He did some pretty cool stuff, even on the ground in this fight, uh, against Mourinho, like where he kind of tied his arm behind his back with his foot at one point. Oh yeah. Um, That's
2: a really good triangle setup that I've seen people pull off in like competition jujitsu and stuff. And I almost pulled it off in the fight there.
1: And you know, Brandon Mourinho, it's not like he's a, he's a chump. Like he comes into this fight 14 and three. He'd won three fights in the UFC. He's never been finished in his professional mixed martial arts career. So like, uh, I agree with you that it kind of towards the end of the fight, it looked like uh, Sergio Pettis had him on the ropes, but uh, I'm not going to fault him too much for not finishing this fight. Despite the fact that it is his fourth decision win in a row. Uh, you know, you just look around the flyweight division a little bit uh, and it seems like Sergio Pettis uh, has maybe reached contender status at this point And, Uh, If he comes through with a win over Henry Cejudo, if they do circle back to make that fight that was once set but had to be called off because I believe Cejudo hurt his hand, if my recollection is correct, uh, the week of the fight or right before the fight, something like that, Uh, he could be the number one contender depending on how things play out when, when Demetrius Johnson fights Ray Borg and then maybe... Uh, entertains whoever is the bantamweight champion somewhere, where down the line. It seems like Sergio Pettis is probably a fight or two away from a title shot, uh, but another win or two, you'd think he would be right there, regardless of stoppages or decisions or whatever.
2: Well, and see, then here's the question. Uh, does he fall victim to what we've seen happen in divisions like Flyweight, where the champion's been so dominant, there is a, such a need to just get new contenders to the champion that you end up rushing some contenders? Because here he is. He's, you know, he's had, uh, quite a bit of UFC experience at this point, but like we said before, 23 years old. Uh, if you put him in there against Demetrius Johnson now, I think he gets smoked. Uh, just because it's Demetrius Johnson, and I don't know if that's necessarily the best thing for anybody. You know, I think that it would behoove everybody if he got a little bit more time to develop and grow. I mean, maybe in two years, Sergio Pettis is ready for that fight. I think right now, he gets kind of trucked just by the superior experience and all-around skill set of a guy like Demetrius Johnson.
1: I think that that's true, but I also don't know how many people in the world that would not be true for R.E. Demetrius Johnson. And you can't keep Sergio Pettis away from the guy forever. He's already fought John Moraga. He's already fought Chris Carriasso. Uh, like I said, he's got these four wins in a row now. I think it'll be a fight or two before he's the number one contender. Uh, you know, knock on wood, depending on how things go with injuries and, and the, uh, the ever changing machinations of everybody's contracts. But, you know, if if, let's say they make this Henry Cejudo fight and Sergio Pettis were to win it, you'd think he wins that. Maybe he gets one more win over a Wilson Hayes, Juicy Formiga type guy. There wouldn't be much else left to do, would there? Like depending on, I mean, uh, you know, age and experience sort of notwithstanding, it seemed like it would be time to to fight the champ at that point.
2: Yeah. I also wonder if we might at some point with Sergio Pettis run into a, a Jordan Meehan type problem. Uh, In that you're 23 years old, been fighting professionally for almost six years now, pretty much like almost exactly six years, uh, been in the UFC since 2013. uh, And to have, he's got 18 pro fights now, that's kind of a lot of fighting action at that young. I mean, he's packed in a lot of experience, but then does that mean that you just burn out by the time you're
1: 28? It's a a worry, I think. I think it's a worry. Uh, Although, I, I, there's almost no way to forecast that, right? Like, uh, you know, he he comes from a fighting family the same way Jordan Meehan did. Uh, he's at a great camp at Duke Rufus's. Um, it, maybe it depends on how Sergio Pettis takes care of his body, how he approaches training, how he approaches, uh, you know, rest and recovery and all this stuff. You got to learn uh, as you get into your mid to late 20s, stuff that maybe doesn't ever even cross your mind when you were 23 years old. Uh but it's that's I think that kind of thing is really hard to predict, although uh I agree with you that it is uh it's the kind of thing that, that has to drift into the back of your mind from time to time. Uh do you want to talk about the co main event here? Sure. Karen Alexa Grasso Montes, speaking of twenty three year old prospects, coming off her uh somewhat momentum shattering decision loss to Felice Herrig uh back in February. Uh has, you know, a very exciting fight here with Random Marcos in the co main event. Ends up winning by split decision uh, in a fight where Alexa Grasso's, I think Grasso got to show uh, some really good stuff. She got to show her skills on the feet. She got to show her uh, ability to uh, kind of dig deep and come back in a fight where she needed to do that to seal up this this uh, win in the in the third round. So a very good win for her. Asterisk, right?
2: Asterisk, yeah, because that's a significant weight miss uh, coming into 119. 119 pounds. Yeah,
1: four pounds over or three pounds over, I guess, if you want to come in at, uh, at one sixteen.
2: Yeah. But that, you know, that's, I guess we'll give her a pass on it at this point, but yeah, that is something that, uh, we'll put an asterisk next to your win. And it was also a close fight. You know, random Marcos was upset afterwards and talked about maybe appealing that loss, which don't, um, because especially try to appeal a decision loss and you're, you're pretty much doomed right away. Uh, but, it was a fun fight. I'll say that for it. And then I'll say that for the, like kind of this whole card, mm-hmm. uh, which is that we looked at it on paper beforehand and we're like, not exactly star studded, not a whole lot of big names on this one, especially if it's your only fight card of the month. Um, But then you go out there and kind of from top to bottom, good action, like good action, you know, punctuated by a lot of throwing it back to the desk because you had a whole lot of first round finishes. Um, But managed to sustain it. Cause you get like those top, Four fights. Once you get past Sam Alvey and Rashad Evans, basically, you got a lot of uh, exciting action. You got two first round finishes, and then you got this one, which goes the distance, but is a, a seesaw battle, and honestly, just a lot of fun to watch. Like surprisingly fun to watch.
1: Yeah, I think this is what you hope for too, right, out of a uh, fight night card from Mexico City uh, that you know is not going to be particularly particularly star studded. You just kind of hope that uh, the fights are good, and maybe if you got, you still have to do the dishes yet. So you could you know, if there's a lot of stoppages, you could when they throw it back to the desk, you could go get that done. Yeah. Fold some laundry. Okay. And come back and uh and take take a gander at Alexa Grasso versus Random Marcos and Sergio Pettis versus Brandon Moreno. Not a bad card. You know, not a card we're gonna be talking about at the end of the year either. Fingers crossed, as like one of the great ones of the year. But but yeah. I mean, uh all things considered, n- n- not too shabby.
2: But you do wonder, and I think that this got brought up Recently, I I think maybe in a listener mail question last week or the week before maybe where somebody was saying, hey, are the low ratings for some of these events because like some of the the network TV and cable TV events just because people don't want to sit through all the stuff. And this one I think it it will be a good – test of that because like my boss Dan Stubbs mentioning on Twitter how web traffic just fell off a goddamn cliff after UFC 214 it was super high everybody was uh you know there's a lot of interest in that and then you got this fight card where it just seemed like a lot of fans were like nope I'm checked out I'm gonna go do some summer vacation stuff or whatever and understandably so because if you look at the fight card and you don't see a whole lot of big names You see a six-fight main card on Fox Sports 1. You, if you're an experienced fight fan, are doing some math in your head at that point and going, that's going to be a lot of commercials and a lot of talk to sit through, especially if there's a bunch of first-round finishes. Then it just means even more time for them to to fill uh, as they insist on doing their thing of no more than two fights per hour. I can understand how people who know how all this shit works looked at it and went, "Uh, I'll skip this one. And then what does that do for you if you've got a whole bunch of young prospects who you're trying to use like this as their moment uh, to kind of have the card all of themselves and, and boost them to that next level if nobody sees it?
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I think that that's a concern. And I think if from a spectator standpoint, the bad news is much like when WME IMG bought the company and, and paid $4 billion and we were all like, well, you don't you don't pay that much money and count on improving your uh, revenue to then give all the fighters a raise. Right. Uh, The UFC television deal is also about to expire, and they're, I think, probably actively kind of uh, shopping around right now for a a next suitor. Uh, You probably don't go into meetings with any other prospective networks saying, you know what, we really want to cut down on the commercials.
2: Yeah, we really want to just streamline this.
1: Get in and out in a couple hours. That's probably not happening. Anyway, so Nigel Longstock is here. We're going to play Master Tweet Theater. It's been a while since we did that, so I know we're excited. Uh, So let's go ahead and kick that off right now.
2: that time again we welcome back to the show friend of the podcast and noted theatricalist sir Nigel longstock sir Nigel, how are you good day to you sir i am wearing my summer coat your summer coat how is that what this is called because right so just so i can describe to everybody it looks to me like you're just wearing suspenders with no shirt uh and they clip to a pair of cargo shorts that i'm gonna say are too small by a lot
0: no shorts could be too small sir but that is factually correct
2: Well, I assume you brought us some kind of exciting summer theme here?
0: Yes, sir, I have. The theme is Lost and Found. Okay, see,
2: now, Chad, he's going in a different direction than he has been. The trend recently has been to make it so broad that he cannot possibly screw it up. This one seems like there's no way he could possibly succeed.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to see where this goes. Uh, It's almost like he realized that it didn't matter how broad the theme had to be because he would just screw it up anyway, so we've gone... In the opposite direction, which I salute his uh, his bravery. It's a brave I, choice.
2: I just wonder how specific, like, is the next time we see him, is it going to be like 16th century
0: art <laughs> and just not even try or what? Indeed, sirs, this theme is as narrow as Sir Nigel's appeal is wide. Sir Nigel's appeal is wide is the message here. Okay. Lost and found? Mm. You don't want to explain that one? You just want to say that? Lost and found. People finding things that they previously lost... Figuratively and literally. All right, let's see. Yes, let us begin. This episode of Master Tweet Theater is brought to you by Toastero, the self-loading smart toaster. Has the drudgery of manually loading bread into your toaster spoiled your experience of eating and family life? Toastero automatically detects bread and sucks it into the toaster from a distance of up to 9 feet using powerful vacuum technology. Just plug Toastero in, connect to a wireless network, and use your phone to set up toasting parameters, including doneness and a block list for any bread-sized objects you don't want to toast, such as books or pets. Then just leave your bread on the counter and, in the morning, see what pops up. Toastero! If you think about it long enough, it's the only toaster that makes sense. (laughs) Well, I assume the reason we're going through so many different
2: sponsors is just because they keep getting sued out of existence shortly after appearing on the podcast?
0: It's because they keep hearing the show, sir. Oh, okay. That Mm -hmm. makes sense, too. Tweet the first. I'm moving to Flyweight to find myself. Hashtag eat, pray, love. Okay.
2: So I guess there's some literal finding going on there. I guess he's got us on a technicality on that one. Um, Paige Van Zandt?
1: It's a good guess. That is a great guess.
2: Except it's a little too funny, right? Like, that's my only concern here is that this one actually is kind of an attempt at a joke. And that's not really always been Paige Van Zandt's personal brand. But okay, I'm sticking with it.
1: So this means I have to think of another UFC women's straw weight. I mean, I think we're on pretty solid ground that this is probably a, a straw weight. Could be a men's bantamweight yeah, moving yeah. to flyweight. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Where would Jessica I fight? She's a she. What does she? What does she do? She was bantamweight. She tweets okay. mostly. Yeah. Uh, pass. Uh, you you were not.
2: You're you gonna say that that's a Jessica I? No,
1: because that is just. I'm I'm passing. Did you hear what I said?
0: Pass. <laughs> You're just gonna pass. But come back later, right? No. What do you? This doesn't make sense at all. Pass. Okay, one fine guess, one nihilistic refusal to play the game, and both wrong. It is Angela Hill. Oh, Oh, damn it. God, I feel like I wasted my pass now. Indeed, (laughs) sir. You must answer any question asked to you for the rest of the day. Can I go back to that one (laughs) later? (laughs) Angela Hill. Perhaps. We'll see. We'll see. No extra credit at the end of the semester. Tweet the second. I am trying to reconnect with the MMS world. Hello, world. You you said MMS there? MMS, sir. The S right next to the A on the QWERTY keyboard, I might add. <laughs> um, Vanderlei Silva?
1: Well, this is clearly an old fighter, right? Who doesn't know how to use the Twitter machine, trying to get back into the MMA. I'm going to say Don Fry. Hasn't he
0: been? He's been away, right? Sure. Both fine guesses, both liable to Miss Key, and both wrong. It is Mark Kerr, oh. the Smashing Machine. Can we just go close enough with John Fry? <laughs> very close. Very close. They, if they aren't living together yet, they ought to.
2: Yeah. Now, there's something I'd watch on Fight Pass.
0: <laughs> Tweet the third. Thank you for giving me one more chance at UFC at September 23rd in my home. Fuck the wrestling. Number one Asian. I know this one. Teruto Ishihara?
1: Yeah, this is this is the little homie, Teruto Ishihara.
0: It is! It is Teruto Ishihara, the littlest of homies who, I agree, fuck the wrestling.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I think he
2: speaks for a sizable portion of the MMA fan base there. Let him bang, bro. And so what
0: he has found, I guess, is another chance? Yes, he is. Well, he almost lost his chance. Ah, okay. He found new life in the UFC as long as no one tries to grab his legs. You know, maybe he might want to consider not giving away
2: his whole game plan there. Kind of seems like maybe it's just like Superman jumping on there and being like, fuck Kryptonite. I'm just not worrying about it anymore. Also, wrestling is
0: hard, but it's not that hard. Many children do it.
2: This and is where S- Sir Nigel
0: gives away that he's actually from Iowa. I can totally. I'll sprawl. I'll sprawl right now. <laughs> Throw something at my legs. <clears throat> Tweet the fourth. Damn it. How many times I got to tell you, my pick in the middle. My pick should be the biggest and in the middle. I fought in Pride Japan. First of all, is this one tweet? One tweet just crams it in there.
2: Also, again, Chad, I will say to you, this is why we spent the extra money to get a list uh-huh. Because of that delivery right there. You could feel it,
0: right? The rage. What, what, what was lost and found here? Uh, his temper, okay. um, and also his career. sir. Okay, but see, he gave something up there. It's a he. It's a he. Yes, it's not a woman who fought in Pride Japan. Uh, okay, can we hear? Can we hear that again? Yes. Damn it! How many times I gotta tell you? My pick in the middle. My pick should be the biggest, and in the middle, I fought in Pride Japan. <laughs> Is there like a? a, a an uh, image
2: that's associated with this or like a link to something or
0: there is sir it is a uh, a fight poster so it's a it's a fighter complaining about promotional materials okay
1: <laughs> all right and that's it huh that's all we're gonna get Jed? i'm gonna guess that this is the poet philip baroni complaining about the professional wrestling poster where he's about to wrestle uh in a tag team with stefan bonner wait that's happening i believe that's a thing i believe that's a thing that's happening
2: All right, well, then I'm going to phone a friend and choose Chad as my friend and also say the poet Philip Barone.
0: It is! It is the poet Philip Baroni complaining about a pro wrestling poster for an event in which he fights in a tag team with Stefan Bonner. (laughs) (laughs) You really, though, you
2: made him, like, this sound like a way more legitimate complaint than i think that it probably was
0: the trick when you play baroni is not to go totally realistic with it. <laughs> okay it's very important in fact although
2: there's nothing even even a theatricalist can do about dan bit i guess
0: no dan bit indeed mm. tweet the fifth darn it now i have to poop what's lost and found there that's a good question i just very much like this tweet sir. <laughs> all right chad who has to poop was this a part of a series, a tweet storm? Or <laughs> no, was this? <laughs> no, sir, it was not. Just out of the blue. I'm hoping this is a text message that went into the wrong box.
2: Even if it was a text message, I question some of the choices here.
0: Indeed, indeed. And also, darn it, now I have to poop? Like he thought maybe if he played his cards right, he would never poop again? <laughs> again. Another another time. Yeah. Sir Nigel, give something away. It's a he. Mm,
2: indeed. Um... I'm going to say Joe Benavidez.
0: I'm going to say Matt Matreon here. Okay. Both fine guesses, both likely to be mad at pooping, and both wrong at his former professional boxer, Jose Canseco. What the fuck are you trying to pull (laughs) here? (laughs) (laughs) Technically a combat sports athlete. This... You've done a disservice to all of us here today. He's also known for playing baseball.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess that does it for Master Treat Theater. What else you got going on, Sir Nigel?
0: You know, it's funny you should ask, sir. I've just finished working on an exciting project about a young musician who's trying to make it big in Minneapolis while he competes with a rival band fronted by his autistic brother. I see. And what's it called? It's called Purple Rain Man. (laughs) What role do you play? I provide the voice for a box of toothpicks
2: that meets a tragic end. Yes, you do. Well, that was Master Treat Theater, and that was Sir Nigel
0: Longstock. Thank you, sir.
2: Dump, I feel like maybe a pattern has developed when it comes to Conor McGregor and boxing sparring partners. We saw it before. Now we're seeing it with Paulie Malignaggi where he gets you in there. He's going to do some sparring. And then it seems like the guys aren't too crazy about the media representation of how those sparring sessions went. Uh, you saw the, the kind of still images that came out of this. Uh, the, the sparring of Paulie Malignaggi and then you hear the, the referee cause I think, oh, things got kind of wild. You see a couple pictures where it looks like Conor McGregor is standing over a downed Malinaji. Uh, and Paulie Malinaji not having it. He is on a goddamn press tour to talk about how, uh, mistreated he feels he is, uh, ranging from like the actual depictions of the sparring sessions to calling Conor McGregor cheap. in in terms of how he takes care of his sparring partners calling him too arrogant to learn anything here's what i where i want to start with this is this a work are we being worked here
1: uh i mean in the day and age that you're going to have conor mcgregor fight floyd mayweather in a boxing match i think you gotta question everything right like every single thing that happens you at least have to have this uh kind of tickle in the back of your mind that makes you wonder how much of this is staged just for the publicity because uh for a long time we thought that this entire rivalry was just for the publicity. This didn't seem like a fight that would ever happen and I think we're all still a little bit surprised that here we are three weeks out from what will almost certainly be the richest fight in the history of combat sports. So, uh and because, as an addendum to that, Ben, that it seems like the point of this fight is to make a lot of money. That there's no other reason to do this for anyone involved. That also makes you wonder, like, okay, uh, like how much of this is the marketing? How much of this is, is the lead up? But I guess by the same token, you could also understand how the boxing sparring partners of Conor McGregor would feel wronged, right? Because if you're Paulie Malignaggi, the magic man, by the way, uh, and you're coming in to spar with Conor McGregor, you gotta kind of feel like, you're trying to help the guy out, right? Like, well, you're he, being paid. You're being but yes. paid, but like, you're, you're also like, uh, I would think in the, in the, in the like ethics of the fighting world, like kind of like you're doing, doing a guy a favor in, in some way.
2: Yeah. You're not going in there to try to put a mask it on him necessarily,
1: right? And, and like, and I know nothing about this, so I'm just guessing, but it also seems like there would be a code of sorts, right? Well, and
2: there is, but, this and we saw the same thing uh before from uh Chris Van Heerden the the South African boxer who remember and this was before really we got into the the super heated hype up for the Mayweather thing but just where uh McGregor's team put out like some footage of their boxing sparring session and and Chris Van Heerden got really mad about it and then he and he I think put out like the full video like the unedited video to be like hey stop editing it to make yourself look like you did better than you actually did it seems like there is a code to this stuff, and the reason these guys are mad is they feel like Conor McGregor broke that code and i I mean maybe you can argue that some of the especially in this the the polymolinaji situation you should know that they have to do something to try to sell people that this is a legit fight like that the the Mayweather fight is not a complete farce so if they can make it look like hey look he went up uh against like a two division champion and and took it to him in sparring, like, yeah, they're going to want to do that, because that's part of the sales pitch. Like, that's part of what they really need right now. Maybe you can argue that, uh if this is completely all on the level, that Malinaji should understand that, but their argument basically seems to be like, you broke the code first, so we're going to really break it. Now, like, everybody can tell their own tales out of school if you want to, but that's kind of what makes me think if if this is all just one big work, because... It seems like we go through this period where there's a bunch of hype for this fight. Maybe it dies down a little bit. Uh, you realize, Jesus Christ, there's still like three weeks to go. Uh, and for some reason, something new will always kind of pop up to try to put this back in the headlines. You know, like last week it was Floyd Mayweather saying like, all right, let's use eight-ounce gloves or whatever, which you, know, you you can't actually do apparently in, in that match, even if you wanted to, uh, just because of the regulations in Nevada. And now it's this sparring partner thing with Conor McGregor. It it has the whiff of a work in that sense.
1: Yeah, I mean, in in some ways you're right. It uh, it does feel like there's an aspect of hey, let's keep this thing going until fight time. But at the same time, uh, there's so much interest around this fight from a media standpoint. Like, uh, you know, in, in aside from John Jones versus Daniel Cormier, this is obviously going to be the biggest event in the mma world of the summer even though it's a boxing match and not to get too like inside baseball on anyone here but like uh those of us who cover the sport of mixed martial arts like you kind of need this mcgregor mayweather fight uh just in terms of, of uh of Our own jobs, frankly. Like it's good to have this fight for us, even though none of us expect it to be competitive or like a great fight. Like it's good to know that there's going to be this big event that will draw a lot of interest. So, like with three weeks to go before it, maybe there's also a lot of people with their ear to the ground. Like true. No matter what happens, we got to make a story out of it.
2: True. Well, and this one is a pretty good story to have at this point. Uh, building it up. Uh, The things that make me think that it's genuine, I guess, are for one thing. That Pauli at least is doing a really good job of seeming very mad. Uh, like he keeps – especially on social media, he's – if it's fake, he's doing a really good impression of the dude who swears he's going to let this go and he's not even mad. Uh, he, the guy who is not mad online. And yet, you know, he can't seem to let it go. And now he's out there giving interviews everywhere he can talking about it and some of his criticisms like the kind of – it seems like the kind of thing that would really sting – uh, and maybe not where you would go if you, you guys were in cahoots working on something. Cause him talking about saying that Conor McGregor has a bunch of yes men around him and that he, he's too arrogant to grow and improve the way he needs to because he doesn't want to be told if he's doing something wrong. He wants just people to tell him that he's doing a great job. You know, that, that I think would, would cut you a little bit if you're Conor McGregor. Uh, and also, you know, I guess I'm surprised to hear him say basically like, hey, he did fairly well in some of the boxing, like sparring uh, that we did, but also he does not have the right mindset to cover up the, the skill gap that he needs to cover uh, in time for this Floyd Mayweather
1: fight. What about the ultimate conspiracy theory, Ben, that on the back end of Conor McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather, we'll be looking at Conor McGregor versus the magic man, Polly Malignaggi?
2: Oh, Wow. So then.
1: Well, that's out there. That's online. People are saying, Oh, McGregor's setting up another boxing match, which to me is crazy talk. I feel like if you're the UFC, you got to step in at some point and be like, nah, nah, we need you to come back home. Do you say that if you you're, need to put that puffy song on? If,
2: if your biggest payday is of the year is just sitting back and taking a cut of Conor McGregor's boxing money.
1: Well, I mean, would that be true if Conor McGregor, let's say Conor McGregor loses to Floyd Mayweather in the way that uh, every fight analyst and the betting odds say that he's going to, is there a market for Conor McGregor versus Pauly Molinaji in a boxing fight? And if you're the UFC, do you stand to make enough money off that that you can just uh, afford to have the biggest draw in your company still out on the street working for somebody else?
2: Yeah, I mean, it will depend how that fight goes, whether you could sell another one. Um, but then let's just say I'm not super optimistic about that promise that we're going to see Conor McGregor, uh, versus Nurmagomedov in Russia before the end of the year. Let's just let's just say I'm not holding my breath for that one.
1: Well, I've been saying for a while I'm not gonna hold my breath about him coming back at all. This dude, once he slides that hundred million dollar check into his pocket. As I've said time and time again, it's hard for me to imagine Conor McGregor coming back to the UFC to fight for $3 million in base pay plus pay-per-view incentives, Well, and then regardless you, of the fact that he may only be 29 years old or whatever.
2: Well, And then we get back to the question of if the UFC if – if he boxes Floyd Mayweather and then says, all right, I want to box Pauly Malignaggi next and the UFC is like, no, OK, we do have this contract. We're not going to keep just like taking the money uh, and looking the other way on this. Does he then have a better Ollie Act case? Because then he really is a boxer. And you were preventing him from making a living as a boxer under this contract that probably will not ha- hold up under the Ollie
1: Act. See, now you're adding layers to the conspiracy.
2: I'm just, More layers I'm just to just the onion it on, Just like Tetris.
1: That's Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, Ben. Uh, and then he runs for president. I don't know.
2: President of what, the <laughs> Earth?
1: Yes, president of Earth. The planet of Earth. Oh, man. You want to do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? Then we will move on to round number three. Sure. Ben, are you fucking kidding me? What is going on with the Snoop cast, my man? Yeah. What's happening with that? Yeah. That seems like one of those things that, like, sounds good, looks good on paper. Like, maybe like a first time funny, second time silly, third time spanking kind of situation, <laughs> right? Like, uh.
2: Are we getting tips in the Chad Dundas's approach to child rearing? Yeah, here? maybe
1: if it was the 1980s. <laughs> Uh, it just seems like maybe we've played out the string here with this thing. Yeah. Yes or no?
2: Uh, yeah. It's, I thought I would like it. And then I, when I watch it, I'm like, you don't know what you're seeing, do you, Snoop?
1: You fucking kidding me?
2: You're fucking kidding me? Plus he's in there talking about the take the booty position. I'm like, you realize these dudes are getting brain damage for like $5,000 right now, right? Maybe not that cool. Fucking kidding me. Uh, well, Chad, yeah, we mentioned a little bit earlier about uh, Sam Alvey trying to, Get out there and, and be somebody and how maybe he needs to knock some people out in order to do that. Uh, support for that argument comes in the form of what happened immediately after his lackluster split decision win over Rashad Evans, where he's standing there. You know, he's got a speech already in his head. He's ready to go back from like doing the like mid-fight angry grimace Sam Alvey to being the pre and post-fight smiling Sam Alvey. It's his whole goddamn gimmick. It's everything that he, his, his persona is based on. And they give him that little, little look with the camera and then we just start to pan away and he, he looks around. You can see him realizing no one's coming in there to interview him. And you can even hear him on the broadcast talking about what, there's no interview. And then before he walks reluctantly out of the cage, you hear him say, I learned Spanish for this. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? That's so sad. Are you fucking
0: kidding me? But
2: I will say this for Sam Alvey. If in fact you did learn the language of Spanish for that. Um, You know, they can take away your interviews, man, but your education will never be taken away.
1: Personal betterment, right? (laughs) That's going to do it for round number two. We will be right back with round number three. August 2017 is the month that the hashtag ain't shit going on was created for because the UFC is going to go ahead and get out of the way of Conor McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather. They are clearing the lane, so to speak, to allow uh, Mayweather McGregor to go one on one all the way to the hoop. We now have a lengthy dead period before we get to September 2nd, and when we get there, what we are greeted by is Alexander Volkov versus Stefan Struve uh, fighting in Rotterdam, which I believe is a fight pass only uh, streaming right. card. And then on the heels of that, we will get into September 9th, UFC 215, headlined by Demetrius Johnson versus Ray Borg, and the co-main event, women's bantamweight title fight. Finally, Amanda Nunes against Valentina Shevchenko. So uh, we've got this. Uh, downtime here, doldrums, you might say the dog days of August leading into, uh, some fairly low profile fight cards in the beginning of September. I guess my first question to you is, uh, both as a person who has at times along with me, I'm not singling you out, uh, complained about an overblown overstuffed MMA live event schedule, but also as a person that hosts a weekly MMA podcast, <laughs> right? is this a good thing or a bad thing?
2: I think it's a fairly good thing, or at least not a bad thing, because if you look at what is available on the calendar coming up, it's not as if the UFC has a ton of really high value, big name fighters that are just being held back and they are dying to compete and the UFC has to clear them out of the way just so that we don't interfere with McGregor Mayweather. Like, it seems like a reasonable time to take a step back. Uh, You just came off UFC 214, big pay-per-view for you. Uh, UFC 215, I mean, I know you talk about how it's headlined by Demetrius Johnson and Amanda Nunes, who two champions who the UFC recently spent some time just needlessly savaging. So that does not help their drawing power. But you look down at the rest of that card, and in the aggregate, that's a pretty good one. That has a, a really good main card scheduled for it. So that one will probably do all right. And... I think that it's not the worst thing in the world to have a few weeks where people get to miss you. The the only flip side I would say is that the summer should be a good time for the UFC because that's when you're not really competing with a whole lot of other sports properties. You know, July and August, there's not a whole lot there going on. You know, baseball hasn't really heated up toward like the the postseason race yet. Uh, football hasn't started. You know, the the other stuff, basketball and hockey is over. Like, this should be a good time for you to seize on if you're the UFC. Normally, you know, we get that one big pay-per-view kind of in the middle of the summer. Um, But, yeah, it's hard to, like, load up a pay-per-view and then have a bunch of stuff left over to fill out, like, weekly fight night cards. It's not the worst thing to me to take a few weeks off from that.
1: Yeah, and in fact, if you listen to the people who are promoting Mayweather versus McGregor for August the 26th, they will tell you, like, Basically, once you get into fall, because you have college football, you have the start of the NFL, you have the World Series in October, they're thinking about making this this uh, super fight boxing match. They had to reckon, okay, we either do late summer or we do the end of the year. So they opted to go what they I think will admit if you ask them is too soon on August 26th rather than put Mayweather McGregor off until, you know, New Year's Eve or something just because uh, they felt like they needed to strike sort of while the iron was hot, didn't want that. Uh, didn't want that rivalry to to get stale, which I think you know. As we sit here three weeks out, and we just did ten minutes talking about Conor McGregor in a sparring session with Pauly Malinaji practice. I think we're all kind of happy they did decide to go too soon rather <laughs> yes. than too late. Uh, so you're right about the scheduling. Uh, but I also think you're right that the UFC could stand to let absence prompt the heart to grow fonder a little bit here. And in fact, by the time we get to UFC 215, September 9th. Maybe Demetrius Johnson versus Ray Borg, Amanda Nunez versus Valentina Shevchenko, and then uh, your heavyweight attraction, Junior Dos Santos versus Francis Ngannou, is going to seem pretty tasty.
2: Yeah, and seem like, all right, hey, some legitimate combat sports action by then. Uh, There's also, though, we mentioned you mentioned the the Snoopcast thing. You you yet your weekly content. from Dana White's Contender Series. Yeah, that's true. And, well, this is something that Danny Downs and I talked about because we talked about this, you know, the, taking the rest of August off in uh, the trading shots thing. And one of my points was that it seems like the UFC lately is making sure that it has like this lowest tier of UFC content production still kind of churning out. Because you got, you got those fights like weekly um, so that, you know, people who absolutely have to have their fix, they got something. Then we're leading up to the Fight Pass-only event, Struve versus Volkov, at the start of September. That's also the like lowest tier of UFC programming. Um, I mean, I know, I think that a lot of the appeal for stuff like that for the UFC is that it's cheap. And that one of the things that made the UFC an attractive uh, buy for somebody like WME-IMG, and that is going to help make it attractive for... Uh, a new TV deal is basically just like the sheer volume of content, but it seems like more of a focus now on the cheap part of the content, the, the, the easiest and the cheapest so that you're just creating more rather than the spending the money to do the, the high value content. If you're not sure that you can recoup those funds.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, that goes back to what I was saying earlier, that you're probably not going to get into a situation where the next TV deal will offer you either less content or like more streamlined content. Uh, If anything, it might be more, I don't know. We'll have to see how that, how that works. Uh, And I I guess we have to remember also that that the UFC, despite the fact that it has this Fox TV deal and fight pass, it still makes the majority of the majority of its revenue off pay-per-view Uh, and if you have these sort of dead periods and you have, uh, these lower profile cards kind of filling out the summer, uh, you, you need to make those big pay-per-views count and it, they're going to make some money off McGregor versus Mayweather. There's, there have been reports, as you know, that it will be their most lucrative, the UFC's most lucrative event of the year, even though, uh, nary a UFC fight will be, will be staged at that, at that event. Uh, but it puts a lot of emphasis on Jones versus Cormier and obviously the initial, uh, reports and estimations of that buy rate seem very positive, uh, up around nine hundred thousand to a million buys. Eight
2: hundred fifty thousand is what I just saw okay. on Twitter from uh, Darren Ravel, and yeah, so that's, that's
1: that's good. That is that's good. over what they did the first time, and we talked a couple weeks ago how if they went over eight hundred thousand, we would be surprised. So that's good for them.
2: Well, yeah, and it's got to be an encouraging sign for you because. When you're talking about how can the UFC keep hitting home run pay-per-views without Conor McGregor or Ronda Rousey? And now you got John Jones who he, he's kind of in that conversation now as one of the big three and he doesn't quite top that at uh, one million. But, you know, hey, if you put him against Brock Lesnar now, the beast incarnate, which I know you would be very excited about, Chad, now there's a real. Ample reason to think that you cruise past one million with something like that.
1: I, yeah, I think you would. I, I think I don't think that would be the, uh, a worry at all. And then obviously November. There's a lot of reports. Uh, I saw Lance Pugmire from the LA Times tweeting earlier today that they're looking at the early November UFC pay per view to be at Madison Square Garden uh, for Michael Bisping versus George St Pierre, and maybe with uh, Holly Holm against Chris Cyborg for the women's featherweight title, or yeah, women's featherweight title as the co-main event, which would probably be a fairly big seller. Uh, so I think there's hope for the fall, not only for the UFC's own bottom line, which is of secondary concern to us, but also just as, as fight fans. I think that, you know, we're, we're going to get through this kind of like, uh, very slow August. Maybe we will recharge our batteries. Maybe Conor McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather will leave us hungry for actual mixed martial arts action. And then we get into the fall when, uh, the possibility exists that there will be some attractive fights.
2: Yeah. And, you know, then, by then, I assume we'll be all ready to get si- hyped up by the end of the year for Conor McGregor versus Paulie Malinaji, right? Like then that's...
1: Yeah, early we can... February, we'll probably have the Magic super Man Bowl weekend, the Notorious One. Maybe, super yeah. Super Bowl weekend, yeah. That's when you would do it. Are you want to do Just Saying Stuff? Sure. And then we will get out of here for this week. Ben, Ben. <laughs> Sorry. I'm sure no one heard that. No. That's... Just you kicking the table
2: super hard. It's all i right. right. Your... I'm fine, by the way.
1: <laughs> what? Yeah, I'm not concerned about your personal well-being. What's your Just Saying stuff for this week, Ben?
2: Well, Chad, I'm just saying, did you see the the recent report out about CTE in the brains of former NFL players? I did. I did see it. Uh, I believe it was, like, out of 113 brains tested, uh, 112 of them uh, came up with with signs of CTE. And now, granted, it's a very self-selecting group, basically, because it was somebody who either the, the... Players themselves, before they died, said they, they thought that they they might have this, or their family members thought they did. They even have your, your brain end up in the testing pool there means that there was probably a good chance to think that there was something going on. And still, that is an incredibly high rate. Now, I guess I'm just saying, imagine if it was the same kind of situation going on, except without all the money and the ongoing health care after the playing days are over and the powerful players association to advocate for you, uh, and in, in terms of limiting practice times and getting better pensions for you. I'm just saying that might give you a glimpse of what we're going to be looking at in the sport of mixed martial arts in twenty, thirty years. Just saying,
1: wow. Downer. Just saying, just saying, Ben, uh, this week, I'm just saying the UFC goes back to Mexico city, uh, Several times now, we've been at the, uh, in the altitude at Mexico City where we were reminded during the broadcast there is 24% less oxygen in the air that the people are breathing. Uh, kind of seemed like it was less of a factor this time though, aside from, you know, Rashad Evans getting very tired, uh, and maybe a couple of other isolated incidents, but it sort of seemed like, uh, MMA fighters are starting to figure it out after a few times going, going there to fight at the altitude, maybe how to do it correctly. And you know what that means. What's that mean? Kane Velasquez Redemption Tour, Ben. What? There are some rumors out that he's going to fight Stipe Miocic for the heavyweight title next. And I'm just saying, let's do it in Mexico City, brother.
2: What's wrong with you?
1: Mile high Kane, Let's get out there and prove a point, right?
2: Are you, is it because you're concerned that A can't possibly handle sea level Kane?
1: <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, I'm a humanist. Um, I want to make sure that everyone does this as safely as possible.
2: You know, another thing somebody might point out about the people not getting super tired in Mexico City is that there was nobody competing above the middleweight division. He had two middleweight fights.
1: Aha! So you think maybe Sean Shelby's starting to figure it out, too?
2: I'm just saying, maybe it has something to do with realizing that you don't want to have a repeat to having a bunch of heavyweights in Denver.
1: Maybe that's true, too. I'm just saying. That's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Uh, Next week, we will get into August, where I'm sure we'll have fun stuff planned, right? Yeah, let's just, you know what,
2: maybe this is when we toy with the idea, like I've been saying for some time now, that this should be a podcast about minor league baseball.
1: we go over there, taking some ball games. Yeah. Talk about the prospects, the up-and-coming prospects.
2: That's right. I'm into it, man. The co-box score podcast.
1: As for right now, though, we are done, we are through, we are out. Best part about this new idea?
2: We can start expensing all those nachos.
1: I like it. Wait, who do we expense that to? Me? You? 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 I'm going to expense that to you? Go ahead and uh, keep my receipt from my bug light and my, uh, my wiener. Whoa, whoa. Back, back it up. Go ahead and uh, back it up. Go